Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, a show tailor-made for you rock geeks out there. We know who you are. We're going to pick the best lead-off tracks of all time. And we'll hear some of your picks as well. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time to get into some of the best lead-off tracks of all time. Yeah, Greg, I mean, this is a great topic. We've been wanting to do it for some time. It's one of those things that kind of assumes that the world of popular music still is ruled by the album. I think there's a lot of debate about that. A lot of people are saying, you know, iTunes and the way people listen on Shuffle has ruled out the album as a beginning-to-end listening experience. However, week after week on Sound Opinions, we keep reviewing albums that are made by artists to be listened to in a particular order, to take people on a certain journey. I don't think the album is dead by any means, and the idea that the mp3 player eliminated the idea of an album well you know that's silly there were singles all through the 50s 60s 70s 80s you know and this is just one way of listening to music another is to listen to a set of songs well i think about the vinyl album you know basically the vinyl album had about a 20-year heyday uh from say 66 67 through about 87 88 you had two sides that you were listening to right vinyl then the CD took over. That sort of, uh, you know, changed the game a little bit. Instead of having two opening tracks for side one and side two, you had one opening track for the CD, and then it right. sort of petered out after 72 minutes. But arguably, the CD made the opening track even more important mm-hmm. as a declaration, as an artist saying, I'm going to blow you away in the next 45 minutes or 60 minutes, and you're going to hear something you haven't heard before. Here's my first best shot. Absolutely. Every mixtape, every party mix, every party tape, every DJ night, it's got to start somewhere. What do you begin with? What is your best opening shot? If you don't get people's attention with that opening track, uh, you've lost them. Well, same thing as what we do in the newspaper, right? You lead with the most important news. 30 words or less, the pyramid. That's what we're going to do on this show. Let's start with the traditional sound opinions coin toss, see who gets to go first. On one side of the coin is the great rock critic Lester Bangs. On the other side is, uh, who do you want? Let's have Robert Palmer. And I don't mean the Robert singer Palmer. Robert Palmer. The New York Times. The late ro- rock the late critic. Yeah. rock critic with the New York Times, Robert Palmer, one of the best and most underrated writers of all time. Coins in the air. And you got it, Palmer. <laughs> Cot goes first. Well, thank you, Robert Palmer. I've invoked your name, and, and it brought me luck. Uh, and I'm going to go back uh, to an early era, the dawn of the album rock era, uh, Jim. Not a rock album per se, an R&B album, actually, but I think the idea of an album started to coalesce around 66, 67, 68 as a unified work, not just a collection of singles. And when we talk about that era, we, we think about bands like the Beatles or the Stones or the Beach Boys as sort of perfecting this idea of a beginning to end album. But I would also argue that Aretha Franklin uh, Mm. was thinking in terms of making complete 
beginning to end albums, not just collections of singles, but she was making a statement. Aretha Franklin, a very underrated, I think, songwriter and thinker. A lot of people think about Aretha, great voice, raised in, in the gospel church, brought that power to soul music, all that well and good. But also Aretha was a, a force for change in society in the late 60s. When I was thinking about great Aretha leadoff tracks, the leadoff track for uh, I Never Loved a Man the Way I, That I Love You, the record she put out the year before in 67, with uh, Respect. I mean, maybe not a better leadoff track ever than Respect yeah, in the way yeah. she just took that song from Otis Redding and owned it. But I think the leadoff track from her 1968 record, Aretha Now, is just as good, but not rated nearly as highly, and I think it should be. It's the song Think. And, and the reason I bring this up, the song was recorded on April 15th, 1968. Remember that day? Tragic day in, in our history. Martin Luther King was assassinated a year before when Aretha had come down to the South to record with Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section in Birmingham, Alabama. She was mortified to see young African-Americans picking cotton in the fields around the studio mm. uh, in, in that area. She never went back to Muscle Shoals. She ended up bringing the Muscle Shoals rhythm section to New York City, where she felt a little more comfortable to record this album with her. She loved the players, hated the environment that she saw down in the South. So this album was charged with the racial uh, atmosphere of that era. And in the song Think, some people may take it as a, as a, a song to a lover, a distant lover, and, and a plea for unity between those two people. But I also hear it as a plea for uh, bringing incompatible cultures together at a time of incredible disunity in our country. And it begins with Aretha and that voice and that rolling piano. It's Aretha herself playing the piano. There's nothing better than the sound of Aretha singing against the playing of her own piano. Fantastic record, kicks off a great record, and one of the great R&B songs of all time. Think from Aretha Franklin on Sound Opinions.
Well, that was a good choice to get us rolling, Mr. Cott. Aretha Franklin, thank you. I'm flashing back on the Blues Brothers movie right now, even <laughs> as we, I say that. Um, like you, I decided to go historical here with my choices. Sgt. Peppers in 1967 by the Beatles gets the credit of being the first great rock album, a work conceived as a set of songs that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Nonsense. As you just proved, other genres were doing it. Rock did it before. For me, 66's Beach Boys masterpiece Pet Sounds was really rock's first beginning-to-end perfect album. Here was a world that existed nowhere else, a sort of thematic unity and a musical unity that Brian Wilson working with the orchestra while the Beach Boys toured without him in Europe, uh, really created something absolutely unique. And it says that from the very first song, which is Wouldn't It Be Nice. Wilson said he was particularly proud of this song because it expressed what, quote, children everywhere go through. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older, if we could run away and get married? He was in a weird picadillo at this time. I mean, first of all, he was melting down, having a nervous breakdown from the pressures of the band. He was taking too much acid, smoking too much pot, and he was in love with his sister-in-law while still married to his wife. (laughs) He had some problems, all right? Those very adult problems, but, but what this album captures is the sort of tremulous, trepidatious feeling of adolescence. I'm on the verge of becoming an adult, but but I'm not there yet. And it's frightening, but it's exhilarating. And, you know, there's an emotional quality to this music, which is just unbelievable. You have the most rocking accordion, or one of the most rocking accordions in rock history on this track. You have glockenspiel. You have these weird guitars that don't sound like guitars. And that's all in the first couple of seconds. And it just gets better from there. The Beach Boys, wouldn't it be nice?
Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys. We could have called this show Hit Me With Your Best Shot. I'm telling right, you. Greg? Can't go wrong with that song, Jim. Uh, great choice. Great lead album. Lead off tracks. And I think it's important to note that uh, you know when you talk about a great lead off track, you're talking about a great album as well. I think the two go hand in hand. We're not just picking a great lead off track uh, and then it just it falls apart after that. Yeah, it, right, it, right. It, it opens up. A new world, and you're entering a world, a great world, a great album, and this is the doorway into that. Otherwise, world. it would just be like a great trailer for a movie, but the movie stinks. Exactly. We don't want that. Exactly. One of the things that I'm looking for in, in a great leadoff track, Jim, is the element of surprise and, and going back to that feeling the first time you heard it and going, I was not expecting this, and it's amazing, and it shows me a different side of an artist maybe that I hadn't appreciated before or introduces me to a new artist that I hadn't even heard of. In the case of John Lennon, uh, the first uh, solo album from John Lennon, the Plastic Ono Band record, uh, after the Beatles broke up, showed me a side of Lennon. When When I heard that music, there was almost a disconnect there. This guy made all those Beatles records, mm. those elaborate Beatles records, that, you know, especially in their latter days doing, you know, the Sgt. Peppers and Abbey the Road, Abbey yeah. Road, where they were really experimenting with the studio as an instrument. Lennon going back on his first solo record, Plastic Ono Band, to just a, an incredibly stripped down sound and a level of introspection. You know, I was thinking about this, Jim, and, and maybe you could argue, argue with me about it, but was there ever a more introspective record at that time? I mean, think about the level of honesty that was coming out of Lennon on that record. Had anybody sort of taken that sort of confessional idea to the level that Lennon had at that point? Certainly nobody who was as well-known as he was. It was remarkable. And the beginning song on the record really made you stop and go, wow, what's going on? The sound of those funeral bells tolling at the start of the record and then later echoed by uh, Lennon's piano playing. Uh, The song Mother, he's talking about not only being uh, left behind by his mother, who died at at an early age, she was uh, run over, but his father, whom he never got to know, it was a a merchant seaman, left when when John was was very young, so he never met his father, the song of an orphan, uh, singing to his parents, to his late parents, and really digging beyond the typical subject matter a popular song on this record and, and really setting up an album where he completely cleared the decks of his life, his art. The Beatles were behind him. He was questioning religion. He was questioning marriage. He was questioning all the conventions of his life. Mother from John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band record on Sound Opinions.
That's Mother from John Lennon, the lead-off track on Plastic Ono Band record from 1970. We are doing the best lead-off tracks of all time. We're going to hear from some of our listeners next, coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. More great lead-off tracks. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. For a special Labor Day blowout, we are talking about the greatest lead-off album tracks of all time. That, of course, was King Crimson's 21st Century Schizoid Man from the 1969 album In the Court of the Crimson King. The rest of the picks I'm going to do are not only great lead-off tracks, in many cases the defining track of these bands, they are the first shot. They are the Lexington Concord shot heard around the world <laughs> in musical revolutions. They were not only saying this is the beginning of a great album. This is the high point of a great career. They were saying here's the introduction of a new sound that you haven't heard before. It doesn't even have a name yet, but it's going to change rock history. Court of the Crimson King was the first progressive rock album. 69 really put that genre on the map. Much flatulence later committed in its name. Not exactly right, but it was a new sound, an exciting sound, and that 
track is as good as any in rock history. I'll, I'll still say that. So is the next one. In many ways, this album and the movement that it started was seen as a response to progressive rock. Rock has gotten big and pompous and bloated. It's a dinosaur. It's a brontosaur. You know, it's time to kill it, right? 1975. We forget how early this album came out. The album's simply called Ramones. The Ramones' first album, it sounded like nothing on the musical landscape. It still sounds fresh and exciting and absolutely vital and relevant today. The first great punk rock album, many people would say, the only punk album. If you needed to take one to a desert (laughs) island, this one says it all. And the first track says pretty much what the Ramones would say for the next 25, 30 years of their career. You know, it never really got better than Blitzkrieg Bop, and that's not a slight on the Ramones. Those three chords are perfect. The hey-ho, let's go is perfect. The spirit, the, the, the enthusiasm. I mean, this is punk rock. This was a song that said, here we are, world, and here's a new sound, the Ramones. Blitzkrieg Bob from the Ramones, great leadoff track, great album. Uh, before we resume with our picks, Jim, let's go to some callers here at Sound Opinions. Let's talk to Asher from Riverview, Florida. Have you got a great leadoff track for us, uh, Asher, and, and, and tell us why and how you discovered it. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about Van Morrison's song Wild Night from the album Tupelo Honey. Uh-huh. It's kind of a more fun Van Morrison track than the typical thing. You know, a lot of people listen to Astral Weeks and Moondance because they make so many critical lists. And then they kind of forget about to look at the other Van Morrison albums out there. Yeah. And uh, I feel like Wild Night is more direct, danceable song than some of those other ones. He's having a little bit more fun with it. And 
works in more different moods, where Astral Weeks is kind of a night album to fall asleep to or something. It's Well, how did you discover? You sound like a fairly young guy. How did you get turned on to Van Morrison and Tupelo Honey and that album in particular? Well, I'm kind of a music geek. I, I just read a lot of different critical uh, stuff, and I found the record at a garage sale and decided to listen to it. And uh, I thought it was just as good as some of the other stuff. I was surprised he had other really great albums that I hadn't really heard about. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of a little more unusual and stuff, and I was surprised how much I liked it, actually, because I thought maybe Astral Weeks was kind of it for him. But now I'm a huge fan, stuff like Veed and Fleas, all the different albums. They're, people need to pay more attention to his other works. So. Yeah, and, and when you put on uh, Wild Night and Tupelo Honey, is it a case of you have to listen to the whole album when you sit down and listen to it, or, or how does it work? Yeah, I'm, I'm a whole album person. I can't, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't just shuffle around or anything, so... Let's hear a little bit of uh, Van Morrison's Wild Night on the way out. And thank you for uh, calling us, Asher. No problem. And everything looks so complete When you're walking out on the street And the wind catches your feet Sends you flying Let's go to Kirsten from Chicago. Kirsten, what's your uh, lead-off track of all time? Well, I love Army of Me from Bjork's album Post. Yeah. It's a great choice. It really kicks off the album in a, in a great way. It's it's very sort of aggressive and unexpected, and it's got this really interesting kind of dissonant melody lines, and it really signals a shift from her sort of much more happy debut album. Let's Let's hear a little bit of Army of Me from Bjork. Army of Me, Bjork. Yeah, she kind of lays it all down there, and then the whole rest of the album delivers, doesn't it, Kirsten? Yeah, and I, I just love the lyrics, you know, and you've got to manage, I won't sympathize anymore, if you complain, you'll meet an army of me. I mean, it's really, I think, uh, I think we've all felt that way mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Now, you were already a fan of Bjork before you heard this record, so did this sort of uh, change your perception a little bit of what she was? The uh, debut is, there, there's so many sort of great dance tracks on there, and, and I, I sort of enjoyed her because she was showing how, you know, you could, you could make these songs about happiness and they were still interesting. But then this one comes, and I, I, I remember thinking, wow, this is aggressive, but it's so unapologetic, and I'm now even more interested to hear what she has to say. Well, I think we're with you on that one. Great choice. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. We're going to return to some more callers in a minute, but let's resume with our picks. Uh, it's my turn. Jim just played Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones a few minutes ago. 
that certainly is an epoch-making track, uh, a new era started. I would argue, Jim, this track sounds 180 degrees polar opposite from the Ramones Blitzkrieg Bop, but it's also an era starter, mm. uh, for me anyway. The Orb, with a, a track called Little Fluffy Clouds from their 1991 debut album, The Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. The Orb is actually the the master project of one Alex Patterson, a former Killing Joke roadie and a former record company A&R man. What he did with The Orb was uh, create a merger of a dance, the dance music of the time, techno was the big uh, buzzword at the time, and, and merge it with a sort of a more ambient atmosphere, taking some of the cues from one of, another one of your heroes, Brian Eno. So what we had was a ambient electronic music with a dance pulse beneath it. With Little Fluffy Clouds, he really defined this genre. He took a, a sample, actually a very large sample, of Ricky Lee Jones, the singer, yeah. talking about gazing upon the fluffy little clouds <laughs> as she was a child. And you yeah. can just imagine Ricky Lee going off on this tangent of just, uh, this reverie is really what it is. Hippie. This childhood memory of seeing the clouds, and she's describing the pastel colors and in, in great detail. And, and meanwhile, he's merging it with, the, with this collage of sound effects. You, you know, you've got everything on here, seagulls, you've got film clips, you've got astronaut voices, you've got a little bit of the harmonica from Once Upon a Time in the West, mm. the, the uh, Leone from the, uh, the, the 60s. All that floating underneath, you've got this insistent pulse going on, these colors, purple, red, <laughs> yellow. And uh, you are on a trip. What's amazing is it's setting you up for this, you know, we've used the word journey a lot. Well, there's, there's no record that better defines this sense of journey than the orb's adventures beyond the ultra world. And, and little fluffy clouds puts you on that journey. You are now in a new world, and you really don't reemerge until you come out, you know, 70 minutes later. Put this record on, you'll be on a different planet. Uh, the orb. Little fluffy clouds on sound opinions. Over the past few years, to the traditional sounds of an English summer, the drain of lawnmowers, the smack of leather on willow, has been added a new noise. What were the, what were the skies like when you were young? They went on forever. When I, we lived in Arizona, and the skies always had little fluffy clouds in them, and uh, they were long and clear. There were lots of stars at night. And when it would rain, they were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sunsets were purple and red and yellow and on fire. The clouds would catch the colors everywhere. That's it neat, because I used to look at them all the time when I was little. You don't see that.
and uh, when it would rain, it would all turn. It, they were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Nice, Greg. Nice. I, w- I couldn't have done better myself. I feel like you gave me an extra pick. The orb. <laughs> I've got a completely different uh, genre, a completely different sound again. I've been harshly critical of gangster rap, and I do think that this is a sound that has become a lowest common denominator. Pablum and Pap. You know, all these guys posing as drug dealers, as thugs, glorifying violence, glorifying misogyny and homophobia. I think that the sound is thoroughly played out. But in 1988, when this track introduced the second album by this Los Angeles collective, NWA. Wow, what a hand grenade. And again, here is a new sound you haven't heard. Here's the defining song of a sound that's going to become called gangster rap. We didn't know at that time. We'd live with it for the next 20-something years. And, and, and it would rarely meet the energy and the uh, sonic invention that it did here. I mean, you have one of, I think, often overrated. But, but in this era, he was on the top of his game one of the best-known producers in the history of music, Dr. Dre, with one of the greatest voices in hip-hop, Ice Cube, and then the other guys in N.W.A. who are of varying quality. But but nevertheless, when these guys were together, especially Cube and Dre, they were at the top of their game. And the way The Voice introduces this song, you are about to witness the strength of street knowledge. There you go. This is what Chuck D was talking about when he said that that hip-hop was the CNN of the ghetto. Well, Straight Outta Compton takes it to a different sound. We hadn't really heard what the West Coast thoughts were. You know, here is the energy, the concern, the social tensions that would erupt in a few years with the riots in the wake of Rodney King. NWA is talking about all of that right here, along with a lot of other BS. I mean, there's a lot of woman-hating stuff on here and, and some, 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 some vile thoughts, but, but it was real and it was energetic and it would soon become transformed into a pose. As far as I'm concerned, this is as good as gangster rap ever got, straight out of Compton by NWA. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Compton, Greg, complete with some nasty words, but boy, is that a great track by NWA. 
We're talking about the best leadoff tracks in rock history on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to have a few more of our own. We're going to have some listeners' choices. First, I want to remind you, you can always give us your suggestions about this subject or any other on Sound Opinions by emailing us at interact at soundopinions.org or calling our hotline 
Wow, what a riff. That guitar riff, that's a that's a megaton. That is yeah. an atom bomb riff that begins this song. And a guitar solo, what guitar solo? It's one, one chord. <laughs> Who needs more than that? Exactly, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Neil Young reducing his music down to the essence of what it would be with this quartet. Neil Young, Danny Witten, bassist Billy Talbot, drummer Ralph Molina. He's still playing with those guys. Witten died a, a couple of years later, but he was uh, quickly replaced by Frank San Pedro. And he's been playing with these guys for, for 35 years, and that is the Neil Young sound that we know and love. It's Cinnamon Girl, the first track from his first Crazy Horse record. Everybody knows this is nowhere on Sound Opinions. Oh, Greg, another great choice. Another one I've always felt very funny. The drummer relaxes and yeah. waits between shows for his cinnamon girl. Man, I love that. But let's uh, before we get to my last pick, let's go to some more callers with their choices for the best lead-off rock tracks ever. Let's go to Jeff from San Diego. Welcome to Sound Opinions, Jeff. And uh, what's your favorite lead track on an album? Well, my one of my favorites is uh, Five Years by David Bowie from Ziggy Stardust. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's an excellent choice. Um, why that one? How did you how did you become introduced to that song? Well, that song in particular, it just kind of resonated with me because it's such an epic and kind of powerful song, you know. And it builds and builds. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think is most amazing about the song is that it's such a beautiful song, but it's also really ominous. It's about the end of the world, you mm-hmm. know. You know the way that Bowie keeps talking about how like all the, the tall, short people and the fat, skinny people and how he's trying to remember everything and trying to make the best of these last five years on Earth. Mm. L- let's hear a little bit of Five Years from David Bowie. This guy wept and told us I was really dying 
cried so much his face was wet Then I knew he was not lying I heard telephone, opera house, favorite melodies I saw boys, toys, electric irons and TVs My brain hurt like a warehouse, it had no room to spare I had to cram so many things to store everything in there And all the fat skinny people You know what stinks about doing this show, uh, Jeff, is that now I want to hear the rest of that album. <laughs> I mean, because how you, Ziggy Stardust, you got to listen to beginning to end. You do, you do. It's a great album. Thanks, man. All right, thank you. Let's go to Peter from Baltimore. Peter, what is your favorite leadoff track on an album? My favorite leadoff track on an album is Fight Test off the Fleming Lips' 2002 release, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. What is it about that uh, that, that blew you away? Well, I think you have to put it in the context of the album itself, uh, because you can't have a great lead-off track if it doesn't open up a great album. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the Yoshimi album that I absolutely love. And so, therefore, there's something about Bite Test that just makes me want to hear the rest of that album and just really puts me in a good place. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Fight Test from the Flaming Lips. albums i don't remember the circumstances of how i first heard it but you know as soon as i heard it it hasn't left my ipod in years now that's an interesting point peter the ipod so you're listening to fight test on your ipod do you listen to it as a piece with the entire album or is it now sort of separated from that album as as an individual no because i really look at yoshimi as an album and it's hard for me to start it in any other place than the beginning and Mm -hmm. if i start at the beginning it's 95% certain that I'm going to finish the album unless, you know, something comes up. It's good to find somebody who, at your young age, still believes in the power of the album. Thank you uh, so much for calling, man. Thanks for having me. Great calls from our listeners. Uh, thanks so much for those. And, Jim, to cap it all off, I mean, we could go for another two hours, but you've got the last one. I had a hard time. I had a list of, like, several dozen, and I had to stop making the list at some point because it was hard enough already. I think, again, going with the idea of not only is this a great leadoff track for a great album, but this is the opening shot in a revolution. You know, how can we not do this show and not talk about Smells Like Teen Spirit? Oh, sure. You know, I mean, this was the beginning of the alternative revolution. Look. I know. Mud Honey got there in 89 first. Everybody, inclu- you know, many people, including Kurt Cobain himself, thought that Touch Me, I'm Sick by Mud Honey should have done what Smells Like Teen Spirit did. But Smells Like Teen Spirit was the song that sold ultimately eight and a half million copies of Nevermind in the U.S., that changed radio, that knocked Michael Jackson off the charts, all those cliches we've been hearing about forever. You know, that's all part of the story. 
I don't care if nobody ever heard this song but me and you. It would still be one of the greatest <laughs> songs of all time. Yep. It's a perfect rock song. It's just got the spirit, the energy, the dynamics, the melody. It's unforgettable. And what's more, I think that it maintains all of that today. It's not one of those songs where you say, you know, you really had to be there at the time. Right. Well, it did count for a lot at the time. You have no idea, kids, how exciting it was to see and hear this song coming after Poison. You know, <laughs> but even beyond that, you hear it for the first time today. Uh, well, I envy you because you're in for a treat. This is as good as rock and roll gets, simply put. Nirvana. Can't argue with it at all, Jim. Smells like Teen Spirit, Nirvana, defining first track on a great record from 1991. Next week, Jim, we hope to top the show. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I think yeah. we've got a chance because we've got two huge albums coming out next week uh, that we're going to have to take a look at. Kanye West has got a new record coming out, his third record. We're going to review that. He's up against 50 Cent, who has outsold Kanye, one of the biggest selling rap stars of all time. They've got records coming out on the same day. We're going to rate them next week. Good stuff. 
we got some thank yous to say. Greg, as always, Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. Our executive producer and fearless leader, of course, is Tori Southside Malatia, who's our lead-off guy. <laughs> and you will note that I just dropped a name off of our production team. This is the last show that Matt Spiegel will have produced or had a hand in producing for Sound Opinions. Mr. Spiegel has been with us forever. Seven years on commercial radio. Two years. We're almost at public radio for two years. He has been the uh, one of the architects, the sonic architect of the show, the way it sounds, and uh, a saint of a man. For listening, I mean, imagine listening to nine years, nine years of our opinion. blather, and never once—I I don't recall—physically altercating with us. I don't—I uh, don't think so. He's never hit us. It's amazing. Or anything. It's amazing that Matt has lasted as long as he has, and and kept his sense of humor at, at the same time. It's amazing too that he's only moving as far away as Los Angeles. He should be on the other side of the world to get away from us. Yeah, we will come visit you, Spiegs. We're gonna miss you, Matt. And this will be the last time we'll ever hear this. Show meets can. <laughs> In case you missed it, here's an album we recently reviewed on Sound Opinions. That is the song Jimmy from the second album Kala by M.I.A., the uh, London-born Sri Lankan rapper. I think that uh, what DJs Switch and Diplo, her on-again, off-again boyfriend uh, collaborator, what they do in incorporating different world rhythms and a kind of truly global perspective uh, with M.I.A. is great. I wish the album was better, though. <laughs> mm. I'm going toward a burn it here on the buy it, burn it, trash it sound opinion scale. You know, she doesn't blow me away. And I think a lot of uh, what's good about her recordings are the productions. And, uh, you know, she's spearheading that. It's her vision. That's great. The good parts are great. Uh, burn those. Uh, overall, though, it, it's still, I don't think she's all that. I have to say, the production here is first rate. What we've got here is a swirling kaleidoscope of beats from all around the world, very non-Western in terms of the kind of beats that are being used, the kind of tempos that are being used. I think it's a, an extraordinary record to Wait listen to a on minute, headphones. Though. Without a doubt, she is creating something new and something fresh, something that we have not heard. Well, what part we, of me saying that I liked what Diplo and Switch did and Burn It, uh, are you not getting well, I, I, well, then why didn't you give it a buy? I think this is a an important record. I think in terms of what it does for dance music in, in the year 2007, it's very much at the top shelf, and it's a buy it record all the way. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hello, this is uh, Creighton from Minneapolis. I'm just calling in regard to the MIA that I just got done listening to. The, you know, I agree with, with Greg and uh, a little bit disappointed in Jim's remarks towards the record. I think it's a fantastic record, but more importantly, I think I've been paying attention to these music videos she's been doing. And I'm surprised that you guys didn't comment on that at all. They're amazing. They almost seem to be taking everything that we would consider to be cheesy about other cultures and uh, opening our eyes and making them actually fresh and cool and you want to be part of the party. And, uh, you know, it just opened up everyone's minds to uh, bigger, greater things. So that alone, in my opinion, makes that a buyer record. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. But man, we sure did learn a lot. 
Walmart parking lot In that Walmart parking lot Hi, my name is Michael. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. I was just calling about the Walmart music store. Um, obviously, it's a good, good for the music as a whole to have cheaper DRM-free downloads. Uh, the only concern I have with Walmart is uh, searching through their store. It looks like everything is an edited version. They don't allow artists to sell original versions of their material online. Also, uh, I think for the independent music scene, it's really not way to go. Uh, iTunes, I logged on to the iTunes Canada store, has an ad for Caribou right next to an ad for Kanye West, while uh, the Walmart store doesn't seem to have much indie music at all. They're just my thoughts on it. Uh, have a good day. Bye. This is Odom Chumbly, currently a denizen of the free and independent Republic of Austin, Texas. I have just finished listening to the latest and greatest podcast of Sound Opinions, uh, an homage of sorts to the inimitable Rocky Erickson, and I thank you for it so much. Finding a 13th floor elevators record in my high school days in the late 70s in Montreal was a life-changing experience for me. It was like an entree into a secret society of sorts. Long live Rocky Erickson, and check him out at his next ice cream social during South by Southwest. It is a treat among treats. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.